Hey hey, we're your hosts. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Jonathan. And we believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give to yourself is the gift of wholeness through integrating all aspects of what it means to be human. And in this podcast, we're bringing you insight, information, and inspiration to move from a stressful to stress-free life. Your journey to become an even healthier and happier starts right now. Welcome to Wellness Theory, the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. I'm so excited to be introducing you to our guest today. We're going to be introducing you to a wonderful guy called Matt. Matt is a well-being consultant here in Dubai. He is the host of the Matt Marnie Fitness Show podcast and is also a Pilates and meditation teacher as well. And with over a decade in this space professionally, Today, we're going to dive into his story, his journey from fitness to meditation, uncover his insights and personal experiences that will help you to walk away from this episode, feeling less stressed and hopefully more vibrant in your work life and your personal life. So Matt, welcome to the show. Charlotte, it's an absolute pleasure to be here on the Wellness Theory show podcast, or is it or just Wellness Theory? Wellness Theory podcast. Oh, the Wellness Theory. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be here. I have a cup of tea. I have my ring light on. I'm ready to go. I'm awesome. Ready to go. Awesome. So let's kick off then, Matt. Because obviously I've done it like a little brief intro there, but t- tell us from your own words. Like who who is Matt? Why are you here? What are you up to in the world? Mm. What does Matt do? Matt lives in the UAE, like you guys. So I'm in Dubai. I've been here four years. I've actually I've I've been in the fitness space 21 years. 2002, I came into the wellness space, fitness space. Um I bit of backstory. I graduated from university in 1998, Charlotte, giving my age away here. 1998, I did my sports science degree. I came out and I looked at the fitness industry and I thought, I see the, the, the you know, the salaries for fitness instructors. I thought, I'm not working for that. Not that. So I went and worked for an advertising agency in oh, central wow. London. Wow. As you do, yeah. Graduate job. I thought I'll have some of that, a bit more money there. So I was working in central London. Um, you probably know if university, my lifestyle wasn't great. It was a uni thing down a student union. And it kind of continued into working in central London. And uh, I was, I worked for this ad agency. I worked in the sales department for about four years. Uh, cut a long story short, no awareness around how I was managing my stress, my thinking, my lifestyle, my sleep. Uh, long story short, I left the industry because I was miserable. My mental health was shot. There was no support back in the day there in, in, in corporate well-being. It's one of the big reasons I do what I do now is go into organizations and try and help with this stuff. Uh, so I left the um, well-being space and then I came into this industry. Silver lining, of course. I've been in here 21 years. It's my passion. I love this stuff. It's my calling. Um, but I suppose if this if the theme is around stress, I've been in the industry about probably about two or three years when uh, I started to experience those same feelings that I'd had back in the corporate setting, you know, those, those that low, low level anxiety, that that insomnia, the lack of sleep, the low mood. And I kind of blamed it on just the industry. I was in the wrong industry. I wasn't doing, you know, what I was supposed to be doing. And um, I mean, you know, try teaching a Pilates class when you're having a panic attack. It's not the easiest thing to do in the world. Boxer size, I I could run around and have a panic attack in boxer size, (laughs) but Pilates is different. So it was a real struggle. Like, I, I, it was, um, how would I describe it? It was frightening, actually. It was absolutely frightening. I had no idea what was going on. I would, I remember teaching a class and coming out. I was managing the gym as well. It was part of an orthopedic clinic. So I did all the rehab stuff. We did the fitness stuff as well. 
And I remember coming out of classes and literally sitting in the toilet because I was exhausted of putting this mask on. How are you, Matt? Fine. Putting that mask on, pretending it's so, I'm not, I'm not sleeping. My metabolism's through the roof because I'm in fight or flight constantly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so then basically uh, someone suggested to me about meditation. So this was a friend of mine who was a yoga teacher. I thought, you know what? I'm sick and tired of feeling like this. So I'll give this meditation stuff a go. So I sat down, as you do, and I, I, I sat on the chair and I closed my eyes and I focused on the sensation of the breath in my nostrils. And I did it religiously because I thought, I can't be feeling like this forever. I've got Pilates classes to teach. And I did it for about six months and I, I felt better. I did. It worked. It did exactly what it said in the tin. My friend said, friend said it would help. So I did it. So it, I felt good. So guess what I did then, Charlotte? What do you think I did then? Go on, tell me. I stopped meditating. This is yeah. oh, I just stopped. Of course, yeah, yeah, of course I do. Yeah, I felt okay. I felt all right now. Why would I carry on doing it? So I stopped meditating. And then guess what? The same thoughts, feelings, sensations came back. And then I, I started meditating again. I got back on my chair. And th this would have been a couple of years. So I've been in the industry about the fitness industry, personal training, all that kind of stuff, for about five years. And I started to notice that the feelings are gone. And then I started noticing this other stuff turning up in my life. So I couldn't quite possibly describe what was going on, but, but it was positive. There was, you know, my memory had improved. I had more focus, all this stuff had improved. So I started telling all my personal training clients, as you do, you know, someone who's in the industry, you find something new, you share it with all your clients. So, so I was telling all my clients, I was going, do you know what you want to do? You want to meditate. They're like, all right, Matt, I'm just doing a PNF stretch. I'm going to go, you want to meditate? Uh, and they go, yeah, it's fine, but how does it help me? Like, how, you know, you're describing what you do. <clears throat> I can't possibly understand how this is going to help me. So I couldn't help them because I couldn't give them the why yeah. as to why this stuff helped. It was all anecdotal. It was my experience. So that's when my journey in meditation started. So, you know, I do other stuff. I'm a Pilates teacher, a personal trainer. I do all the fitness stuff, manage facilities. But that's when my journey as a teacher began. I did some teacher training. I've been on retreats and I've kind of, I've worked under people. I've had mentors in the movement world, as well as in the meditation world. And what I do now, I suppose, is I, I package all these experiences up and, you know, I, I was, a, I still am. I work in the teacher train, training space, so personal training courses, Pilates teacher training. So I like educating anyway. Yeah. I've kind of packaged it all up and I'll take my experiences and my passion for education. I go into corporations and I, I deliver this information on mass with, you know, get everyone singing from the same hymn sheet in our organization in a bid to improve people's physical and mental well-being, which helps productivity, bottom line, but also just helps people yeah. be a better version of themselves outside of work, you know, work-life balance. So that's that's me in a, in a nutshell, but with a segue on the meditation. Yeah, I, Matt, honestly, I love what you're doing so much. There's so much correlation between what we do and kind of our journeys coming from that fitness space as well. I'd love, really love for you to share with with obviously myself and the listeners your experience when you're sitting in, in the toilet, exhausted, literally burnt out. So you're past that chronic stress mode. You're in burnout phase now. Like yeah. what goes through your mind at that point? Is it a case of I just want to try anything and then meditation would just happen to like almost reveal itself in that way? Or was there any resistance to you picking that up? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, so it's a great question. I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite open about this stuff. So um, when you're in those moments, you kind of 
for at certain stages, I, and I had a really supportive partner at the time, and and I, one of my PT clients was a was a GP, so I was getting this advice, which was kind of you know try not to overthink it because it was like I've got to leave the fitness industry, um, I've got to take medication every so often on that loop because that's how deep I got was yeah. I can't live like this anymore, I'm going to check out. So that was there. That's where this stuff took me. And I'm honest about this. It was like that was on that spiral of, of thoughts that merry-go-round was like medication I, I did take some medication at one stage got no problem with medication you know I, I i if i need to go on it in the future i would use medication for a while i did therapy but in the toilet in that moment it was really about it was frightening yeah it was frightening because and it's what happens when you are you know if you're suffering from depression or, or high level anxiety you can't see an end to it because rational brain shuts down <laughs> Prefrontal cortex goes offline. You're all amygdala. You're all limbic system. So you're not thinking rationally. You know, you, you you don't think rationally. You project negatively. We've got a negativity bias anyway as a species. So I was just sat in that toilet just thinking, I hope, probably shame and guilt. This is probably the biggest worry, actually, you know, you said that. I wonder if anyone notices mm. that whole thing of hiding it, putting the mask on. That was the most exhausting thing. Yeah. Trying to pretend that I was okay. Yeah. That was probably the most exhausting thing. But almost just keep it in the day. Get home. Hope I sleep tonight. Hope I'm not tired. Uh yeah. Crazy time. Exhausting. Scary. It is. And and it's tough. Thank you so much for sharing that. And especially as a guy sharing that, I think is really important as well. As we know, mental health's got a massive stigma anyway attached to it. It's yeah. specifically in the workplace. It's almost like it is a, a form of weakness if we're struggling when it comes to mental health. And yeah. sharing that for any human being is difficult and it takes courage because there is a lot of shame and guilt often attached to it. And obviously, alongside that shame and guilt there's a lot of misunderstanding and self-judgment that plays a part so I love the fact that you did have some support people in your network like GP mm. as a client that's really great what were some of the things that helped to pull you out of that space obviously meditation has played played a role but in those yeah, meditation early early space like when you was really yeah so yeah, I mean, obviously, I was, I was, I just started doing uh, teacher training stuff. So I was teaching PT courses. So you get introduced to things like the endocrine system, and you start understanding the role of the adrenal glands and cortisol and noradrenaline. So I, I knew that when I was in these these states of fight or flight, that my system was full of uh, cortisol and adrenaline. I knew that that was inflammatory, and I knew that that could structurally impact the brain and the way I function. So movement was obviously the bottom-up approach to, to managing stress. I would drag myself out of bed and go for a run. I would move my body most days, even though I didn't want to. But I was lucky. I worked in the fitness industry. It was a habit that was already there. So that was definitely that was definitely a tool that I used. Um, breath work, so not just the meditation, just facilitating the parasympathetic state with a longer exhalation. So I know breathing gets like people selling these courses. I mean, I, just, I was telling a corporate on Tuesday, just exhale longer yeah exactly. the system. It, in for two out for four it's like it doesn't have to be one in through one nostril box hold at the top for 10 it's just like no just just yeah. breathe out for longer yeah. send a signal to your nervous system that's all right it's safe um exactly. what else did i use i did use uh some medication i was on medication for i mean it, i think there were uh ssris i think it, it might have been or citalopram there was some medication i used wasn't on it for long yeah. but i came on it and i made sure i weaned my way off it 
Um, I think there's a lot of stigma about meditate about medication rather. People are fearful. They think once they're on it, they're on it for life. That's not the case. Yeah. One of the biggest challenges is coming on it and then coming off it, which a lot of people do. Yeah. I'm not taking this anymore. I feel fine. It's like, no. So I, I use med uh, medication. I use meditation. Uh, I use counseling. Yeah. So I went to therapy and I used to see a lady called Greta, right? Greta in Mil Milton Keynes, where I was living. So I'd go and see Greta and I used to pay her with cash. And I'll tell you, what, I used to drive there every week and I'd sit in the car and I'd be thinking, Got nothing to talk about like this is a waste of money i don't anyway, i'd go every week religiously like i commit to the cause this is all hindsight i would go there i'd share how i feel it was part of a process but there were moments in those therapy sessions that i had that were like huge light bulb moments in terms of my belief systems around myself you know and I'm not, it's not about going back into the inner child and digging up trauma i'm not going to say it's about that but therapy played a role it and it if it wasn't in the moment, there was stuff that was unearthed in the therapy. Yeah. So once I got beyond the out of this state of fight or flight where the rational brain shut down, when the rational brain came back online, mm. which it does eventually, uh, I was able to digest that stuff and it kind of helped me. It changed the lens on my past. Nice. Is what I think happened. So mm. the lens on my past changed with therapy. Yeah. And with that change on the past, it changes the way I, I, I think about the future. That mm. makes sense. Change your lens on the past, you know, make sense of stuff, realize that negative stuff and things not happening in your life actually are a blessing in disguise sometimes. You know, that whole one door shuts, another one opens. Yeah. And I took that awareness and that understanding, and then I worried less about the future. Mm. Does that makes any sense? But yeah, so therapy, movement, meditation, medication, mm -hmm. uh, friends, yeah. friends and family, um, just, you know, having a hug, having a cry, going to see my mum if I need to, and know my mum's there, that helped. So, I probably played all my cards. Yeah, <laughs> played all my cards. And, and that's okay. one of the things I love about your journey, Matt, because it, there's, like you said, you know, there's so many courses that people can go and do. It's like read this book, and personal development has come this huge thing, and everybody's therapist, and there, there's a bit of a movement, mm. right? Which has got so many upsides, but some of the downsides are that people get a bit overwhelmed with all of the options, and you do have to sometimes lean into different pools and schools of thought to be able to see what resonates with you as an individual. So I love actually that your story encompasses a lot of those elements, because when you can then actually look back and say, like, OK, this is how it worked for me. And it's funny that you say about kind of looking back changing that lens that you look through to almost shift the way that you're seeing the future, but actually bringing you more into the now, right? So you're yeah. spending less time in that <laughs> time paradigm. What yeah. we're really doing is we are going to the foundational issues, right? And the, one of the reasons why I really want to dig into talking about a bit about meditation with you is because sometimes, you know, we experience stress or anxiety on different levels, right? We have that life level where we are literally spinning all the plates, you know, you've got family, you've got your health, you've got your work and everything else going on. And often people then try and plug meditation into that mix and into a bit of that chaos. And sometimes it's, that's sometimes why it doesn't stick because we're almost just trying to plug something and try and always like have a trick that's going to help us yeah. keep going. So what I love about you, Matt, is you're bringing in that extra layer of, okay, no, let's use the body. Let's actually breathe. Let's talk. Let's connect. And then mm. you're talking about that core foundational level, that root level of looking at things like your belief system, understanding yeah. about your past or whatever level it is you need, which I think is the whole scope. And we have to pay attention to all of those areas Otherwise, yeah. it's like 
band-aid over bullet wound so i'm curious to know like your thoughts on that and what you're seeing especially as you work with individuals and corporates when it comes to successes and failures with meditation yeah so i just i want to recap what you just said there about people just you know that sticking plaster i you see it yourself here i mean i moved to dubai and it blows my mind um there are there are so many i've met so many people here who are looking to change the way they feel now, it might come in the form of uh, weight loss or this diet or I'm going to jump in an ice bath or yeah. I'm going to go on a huge fast. And it, it's people fundamentally thinking, if I lose 10 kg and I look better, I'm going to feel better. So, yeah, that that's fundamentally what it's about. But in terms of meditation, so um, the first thing I say to individuals on beginners courses or a corporate, if I go in and talk to a corporate, is the first thing I say is meditation is an umbrella term. And they go, okay. So it's, it, it, it's a word that we use, but it, 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 the, um, the analogy I use is sport. I use this a lot. Umbrella term, sport. Under sport is boxing and swimming. Yeah. Completely different training involved. Yeah. Completely different physiological response. Completely yeah. different personality types that are drawn to this stuff. And it's the same with meditation. So under meditation, you've got mindfulness. Everyone classifies that as meditation. It's the same. It's not. Mindfulness is very specific. Yeah. Concentration-based, very specific. Yeah. Breath work is different. Yeah. Loving kindness is different. Mantra-based is different. Um, yeah. Body scans kind of encompass a lot. Yeah. So people need to understand there are different styles. Yeah. Not every style will suit you. Some people closing their eyes causes them a panic attack. Yeah. And then therefore they say, I can't meditate. I had it on Tuesday. 25 people in this group. One, one girl, I know it's going to happen. One girl doesn't like it. So she, she's opened eyes. Hers is X reception going out. She's doing walking meditation in the corridor. She's given permission to do that meditation to be forced to close her eyes. So you've got different styles. And what happens for people without me boring you too much is they'll get an app, Calm, Insight Timer. They, lots of people got it in front. They stick their headphones in. They'll look at a title and they'll go, oh, relaxation. Right, cool. Or the, the title, oh, I like her voice. And they'll listen. Yeah. And it will be loving kindness meditation and the language will be completely alien to the individual and they'll go i'm really not getting that i've got to think i love myself i love my no no sorry they put the headphones down meditation is not for me yeah so people need to be clear about that this is why guidance and having support and giving permission is useful it's like anything yeah go walk into a gymnasium and approach the free weights area or squat rack and get no tuition at all it's not going to be very comfortable and it's not going to be very effective. It's the same with yeah. meditation. Um, so it's finding, it's finding a style that, that suit, and understanding that is probably the first thing people need. They need to understand their different styles. That's so important. So, so important because like, it's different strokes for different folks, right? We all will resonate with different things. I love that metaphor because everything is almost like put into one bucket and then we rule out everything else, right? So if we yeah. say oh, we tried it once, we close the door to something else that actually could be in that under that same umbrella that's actually really powerful. So yeah. how does someone that's listening to this, how do they start to understand what meditation style might work for them? Sure, good question. So the, the next sort of misconception or the myth that I, I address when I teach courses is the, the a common response I get from people. When I talk about meditation, they hear I'm a meditation teacher, they go, oh, I think meditation would be good for me. I tried it once, Matt. Couldn't clear my mind, but mind's too busy. Couldn't meditate. That's the most common response. Yep. It's the biggest misconception. Your mind is not designed to be clear. 
Yes, you can quieten the mind, but the mind is not designed to be clear. So once people understand that and they realize that everyone, myself included, even the Zen monks that sit, their mind wanders, that's yeah. what it does. When you meditate, regardless of the style that you choose, as soon as you close your eyes, <clears throat> you're off. Yep. You're going to be off at the races. That, that, that is it. Now, let's pick something simple, like a concentration-based practice, and people might resonate with this. So a, a simple description, you'd close your eyes, and then you would find one anchor. So it could be the movement of your ribcage, belly breathing. Some people use, uh, I use touch of the breath in the nostrils a lot when I teach classes. Yeah. So you find one anchor for the mind to settle on. That's yeah. it. Now, that anchor is something to focus on, but it's also somewhere to come home to. Yeah. So when the mind does wander, you come back. Now, when you close your eyes and you start meditating, your mind will wander. You will notice it and you'll bring it back. Yep. That's it. Yep. That's the purpose of meditation. People don't realize. They think they're doing it wrong. Yep. So no, 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 no. You catch it, you bring it back. Yep. You catch it, you bring it back. The analogy I use, a gym analogy from that industry, it's a repetition in the gym. You are strengthening that muscle of focus and attention. Yeah. You get quicker. Sometimes you're one. I've been gone for minutes. I've been thinking about presentation. I come back. Yeah. You get quicker. You spend longer there. Yeah. So people start to get their head around that. They go, okay, so I'm improving my um, ability to focus and concentrate. Mm -hmm. Now, if I asked you, if I said to you, Charlotte, I said, I've got a wand here and I'll tap you on the head. And I'm going to increase your ability to concentrate and focus by 50%. Just pick that random number. But how would improved focus, just get you thinking now, how would improved focus and attention, how would that show up in your life? Uh, how would that be beneficial? Everywhere. It would boost tell productivity. Me, tell, tell me. It would boost productivity in our business. Likelihood is getting more done in less time because that focus is even sharper. Um, yeah. Relationships and being even more present in relationships. Uh, financially, you make more intelligent choices. It can, it can overspill everywhere, I believe. It's massive. Yeah. And this is the point I try and make to people. So, we, there is a focus and attention crisis. And there, there's a great book, um, Johan Hari, Stolen Focus. Oh, great book. Amazing. Listen to it. Blew my mind, yeah? So yeah. The, this focus and attention crisis, um, 2000, uh, we had a attention span. I think it was 12 seconds. They said uh, in 2015, it dropped to eight seconds. Uh, the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. I always spout that. and It gets attention. But yeah. exactly that. If we can improve our ability to focus and kind we get more done. Mm. That's cool. We're more productive. As yeah. a result, we're taking less work home. Yeah. That's a stress for people. They're taking work home, we're getting stuff finished. We're able to walk through the door and be present yeah. for our family. Because that's a massive stressor. Like the, the law firms that I work out here, the guys I work with out here in the UAE, the lawyers, they don't get the job is stressful. They love the job. Yeah. They actually love it. They're a different breed, lawyers. Mm -hmm. They love the grind. Their biggest stressors is work-life balance. Yeah, They've got family. That causes them stress. They take that stress into, into work. They're not sleeping. It causes arguments. So, yeah, more productivity, get more done, more present. The, the biggest gift you can give to your friends and family is your attention. Yeah. Full stop. Um, not picking your phone up so much, which and that's a completely different thing, but the whole social media thing, yeah. you know, dopamine receptors, all this stuff. So 
what I say to people is they say, will meditation make me le- make me more relaxed? Will it make me less stressed? I say, not necessarily. But one thing I will guarantee if you just do this simple practice is you'll improve your focus and attention. And a byproduct of that is you will feel less stressed and more in control of your life. Yeah. So exactly. that's how I kind of I, I label it for people. Mm. And it's that compounding effect, isn't it? It's like we, you're not going to necessarily feel relaxed immediately after doing one meditation, especially in the beginning, because it can be stressful to keep bringing your attention back. When yeah. initially, when I first started to meditate, I closed my eyes. And it was like taking a dog off a lead. It would literally just run wild in like my mind. And like yeah. it, it took a while. And I, and I always use this analogy of, like with meditation is like we're basically we're just practicing essentially like walking that that dog along with with a lead and eventually when you bring it back on track enough you can get you can lose that lead and the dog will walk comfortably and it's it's something that is it takes patience right and we live in the world of like quick right we want a quick result we want a fast return so i wonder what you would say to someone who is struggling to perhaps have that level of patience to keep bringing themselves back to their anchor yeah there's two there's two things that go on here so the first one is people it's the it's your reaction to the distraction so i use that a lot so what people do i'm guilty of this myself is if my mind is wondering i decide and my mind decides that i'm not very good at this this is rubbish this is not good meditation and then when you judge yourself you create a stress response Yep. You get a fight or flight response. It becomes stressful because yep. I can't do this properly. I keep doing this wrong. Yep. So that's the first thing. So it's giving people permission. So I'll, I'll normally do that week two of a course I'm teaching. I start talking about pay attention to the way you react. Mm-hmm. Yep. When you catch your mind wandering, little smile. It's like a puppy. That's the one I use. It's like a puppy that's wandered off. It's your friend. Yep. Develop a better relationship. You, you bring it back. The other one is that Quite often people will be full of, uh, they've been sat at a desk all day, they've not moved. So they're full of adrenaline and cortisol. They haven't metabolized those chemicals. When they get home, the body's like, there's danger, we need to move. So people quite often sit down, they can't sit still. It's not yep. the busy mind, it's the body. Yes. So for some of my clients, I'll say maybe train before, maybe do some down regulation breathing, or actually, you know, if they can't move, doing down regulation breathing before they start. So actually sending a signal to the nervous system that actually you're just full of this, this adrenaline and cortisol, switch yeah. it off. So the, the, the reaction and then taking care of what's going on physiologically. Mm. I love that you've mentioned there about it's like it's, it's our body as well, because often people relate meditation to be a mind work right to some extent and one one of the things that I've experienced on, on my meditation journey is so I started with like a headspace app Um probably i want to say maybe eight years ago and that actually really got me into it because i was feeling different i couldn't put my finger on what it was but there was something that's just a bit lighter i would say yeah and i went in and started to do uh, kind of more yoga nidra style meditations and things like that and eventually i think it's a great idea i'm going to go and do vipassana which is a 10-day silent meditation and i absolutely loved it it was one of the most profound experiences i've had but the first three days, you're literally following your breath and literally, like you mentioned, the anchor of your of your nostrils, right? Yeah, literally feeling the air in and around your upper lip and nostrils. And, and Anapana. Yeah, exactly. Anapana, yeah, yeah. So literally, I'm like, okay, are they serious right now? We're going to spend the first three days doing this? And I'm like, my mind is on one, my body's fidgeting. Like you're in a hall with like 50 people. 
and I, yeah, I was like really fidgety. I was like, no, I've got this. I can do this. And I, I've been good for a good maybe 40 minutes to an hour. And then after that, that's it. I was gone. My, my, my puppy, my dog was running wild again, even after years of practicing in different ways and using different styles. But then what happened after kind of day four for me, I really connected deeply with my body in a way that I don't think I'd ever connected with. I was so aware of so many subtle sensations and the practice of being able to just observe it free from judgment was extraordinary. That by the end of it, when I come out of that um, 10 days, I remember somebody gave me a, a piece of fruit. It was an Indian sweet. I can't remember the name of it now. It was, it was good, but I literally had a tiny bit, like it could fit on the tip of my little finger. And I put it on my tongue and it was insane. The sensations I felt from my whole body, literally to the tips of my toes was incredible just because my mind was just in this place of observation, but my body was just free and safe to bring up whatever it was it needed. And it was, it was incredibly powerful. And it's something that really led me down the rabbit hole of understanding a lot more around embodiment and how stress is stored in the body, how trauma is stored in the body, obviously polyvagal and how our stress response is affecting the way that we think. And that was it for me. I was like, well and truly down the rabbit hole. And it really changed the way I coach and what we offer with the wellness theory, but also with my own practices that really started to inform the practices that I needed the most. So I'm curious to know like your, your thoughts on just the way the body is involved in, in meditation and the impacts that can have. Yeah, massively. So what you were touching on there, that whole, I mean, for some people, they get, uh, I do say to people, there are layers to this game as well. So I say, look, you've got the concentration-based practice. That's all you get from it. You just, you strengthen your ability to focus and concentrate. Your life will improve. That thing of going into your body, we're talking more about mindfulness now, really. So rather than going in and having one anchor. So let's actually, let's explain that. So if we say to someone, single anchor, concentration-based, mindfulness, present moment. Mm -hmm. So the way I describe it to people is, Present moment, multiple anchors. Yeah. Because sounds, sensations, thoughts, stuff coming up, stuff going. People um, identify with the whole thing of the, you know, the cloud that they let go. You know, that, yeah. that there's that image, isn't there? You know, just that, let the thought go. Sure, just sure let it go. That was headspace, right? That was. Um, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Andy, Andy Puddicum. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that actually, got me. He's, he's, That's what got me in. Yeah, Andy Puddicum's good friend. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. He designed the app. My friend right. out here designed that app. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, just all that letting go. And so what I say to people is that's that you need that. So you concentration based is where you want to start because I say to people, if you can't focus on one anchor, yeah, you've got without getting lost and gone, you've got no chance of grasping onto multiple anchors. Yeah. No chance. You just go there and you go, this is just too much. I'm going to think about work. Equally, if you you want the balance between the two, you want the interception, you want the ability to focus, mm -hmm. but then you want that ability to grasp on stuff for attentional. Uh, flexibility, to, the ability to actually be present in a moment, mm. observe stuff that's going on. With in terms of the body, so yes, inquiry. What I've learned over the years is I'm more attuned to feelings now mm. because I, I analyze it. And I, I, so sometimes meditation, we call it inquiry, but meditation is informative for me. I've been doing this a long time, but it's informative. It 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 kind of tells me what I'm worrying about, or my body will communicate with me, and I'll go, oh. What's going on here? I'll get my playbook out and I'll look at things like sleep, stress, time with friends, time with family. It just it, it informs my decisions. 
Nice. But I suppose the relationship with the mind and the body uh, was, uh, if you read any of Joe Dispenza's stuff. Yeah. Not all uh, of it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Same, same here. So it blew my mind. I was, I was one of Joe Dispenza's books on audio book. Was I reading? And it was the um, thoughts create feelings, feelings create thoughts. So it just it changed the game for me. It was like okay, so I described this to groups. You have a thought, a negative thought. You have the same physiological reaction as you would when you saw a danger back in the day. You saw an animal. It's the same fight or flight response. The brain doesn't know the difference between perceived and actual stress. So you sit there. You have a thought. It creates a feeling. Adrenaline, cortisol, chemical response in your body. You don't address that, where you sit at a computer all day, you go home to sleep, crack open a bottle of wine to get to sleep at night, rinse and repeat. Your cells in your, this will blew my mind, the cells in your body become addicted to that state. This is homeostasis. This is where we live. This is normal. So people say, I say the half full, half gaff, empty kind of perspective. Yeah. You know, I've got a friend, he's miserable. Is it really his fault or is it the fact that what I describe to people, so I'm rambling, but they say, you might say, oh, I'm going to start thinking more positively. I might do some gratitude practice, which is powerful. But if your, your cells are accustomed to this feeling, your physiology starts to dictate your neurology. And when people get their head around that, they go, oh, wow, okay. So if you don't address your states of thinking, you are not addressing the, the chemical soup. So you can go to the gym and you can do a workout. You can metabolize the quarter. You go to a boot camp, smash the life out of it. You do your training. You you metabolize the quarters. Oh, you get home. Then you get home. You go, hey, go from work. Hi, darling. You are. Yeah, how's feeling? Amazing. That class was great. Sit down on the sofa, switch on your series of Netflix because you've got no awareness and no relationship with your mind. You spend the next two hours lost in negative trains of thought. Thoughts create feelings. You go to bed full of cortisol and adrenaline. Exactly. It's a waffle, but. Yeah, it's no, it's, it's relevant waffle. It really is because like we we tend to skip over that meaning making process that we attach, right, which is our thoughts, which is our beliefs, which is the things that we value. And we skip over that and we almost dis sometimes disregard it because it's automatic and it's, it's subconscious. Right. And unless you consciously want to dive into that. We just yeah. try and almost plug things, like you said, with a bottle of wine or that intense gym session to blow off some steam. And the problem with that, like you said, is it, it won't ever really become lasting. And actually what I found and a lot of people that we work with is that it can really do a lot of damage because we think that we are doing something good because the intention is pure to go to the gym and let it all out there, for example, it's good intention because we won't rather let it out on, on the weights than on, on our wife or on our husband yeah. and or on our kids. And the thing is, though, like because they're in that heightened stress state, they're now putting their body under even more stress. So now, actually, their their body is struggling to keep up with the amount of chemicals that are being pumped through. through. And there's a big come down to that after as well. And the bit yeah. in between is that meaning-making process. It is like, how are we... Um, inquiring how are we self-auditing and checking that language that we're using with ourselves because it's so important and one of the things I do like about guided meditation in particular under any umbrella for me as long as it's quality guided mm. meditation the language is is conscious I've heard some meditations there's really not very conscious language actually and I'm like yeah, well, yeah, yeah. say that to somebody when they're super relaxed um, but anyway no. um, the language is um really really cr critical and the, the guided nature can really help people to almost 
improve their quality of thinking without them even really realizing which i think can sometimes be a nice easy win and maybe a gateway for people to then dive a bit deeper what do you think mm. no no i agree so technically we call it didactic presentation the practice is self self-inquiry so that you're right a lot of apps are just you know lip service think about this do this do that when you become more skilled you'll sit a group down you'll maybe have a theme something to think about during the practice and then I mean I my skills improve all the time but my mentor tells me that you know we're facilitators we're just we're just trying to facilitate change and and be there to hold a space but yeah it, it's about self-discovery experiencing emotions maybe someone helps you label it um but you're right I think going back to what you said about the, the sticking plaster stuff so I say this a lot I, there's, there's a friend of mine here in the UAE and he's been doing uh do you know F45, the, uh, yeah. the, yeah, I'm not joking. He's been doing F45 five days a week and running. And um, and he's asking why, he said, I'm doing all the right stuff. Why am I not sleeping? And it's exactly that. I tried to explain it to him. I said, if you go to F45 in the evening, particularly, your body does not know you're doing F45 class. Yeah. All your body thinks is you're in a dangerous situation for whatever reason, yeah. and you leave more stressed because your, your nervous system's ticking over than you were when you came in. So, yeah, there's a lot there. But, and I mean, I'd also say that I think meditation is, is, is a, a mass, it's a really powerful tool, but I think therapy and, you know, other, other means, because it, it's not one size fits all. But I think therapy definitely has a role. Um, and also I think it's worth mentioning, a lot of people think you've got to sit down on a cushion and do a formal practice. Well, yeah. Informal practices sometimes work. So just to, for listeners, an informal practice is just applying that same principle to any activity. Mm, yeah. You know, brushing your teeth, shower. They're two things that you can fit into your busy lifestyle, which is like you need to brush your teeth, bring your awareness to the sensations yeah. of the toothbrush in your mouth or this major sensory experience we call a shower, which yeah. I struggle with informal stuff. Formal practice, brushing, literally coffee, go sit down on the chair, do it. In the shower, I'm just gone. Again, this is massive sensory experience. Thousands of droplets of water, yep. sensor receptors all over my skin. There's this massive experience that I can experience. And I just, I'm not even present in the shower. It's like, you know, it's gone. So there's stuff people can do to fit in their busy lives, which isn't just sitting on a cushion. I love that. I love that you've raised that because people are busy as well. Yeah. There's often a bit of resistance to a sit, a sit down practice anyway for anybody that's not really got that buy-in yet as well so it's a great place I think also to start sometimes but starting simply like you said um, because when you really start to become attuned to, to all of those senses and you become more present you start living in that presence and you start to live in those meditative states it can be very overwhelming like we literally just moved back from uh, from Thailand to Abu Dhabi and the everything's so much faster here like it's insane like we lived there before so we know what it's like but it was mm. an assault on the senses it was like whoa hang on like noise speed like uh, the, the weather differences all of this kind of stuff now and it's just an adaptation period for sure but I've had to really like center my own practices to come back to self so I don't get lost in that stimulation because I think it's so easy for us as human beings to get, mm. get lost in that, which sometimes can move us away from practices like meditation. And I'm very grateful that I found this a bit earlier in my journey. Mm. But I know that 
that stimulation is a call to action for me to come back to myself. But the, unfortunately, I think the, the scary thing is, is most people don't have that skill set. I still struggle with that skill set, right? I still try to have to figure out and navigate what it is I actually need. And I think the addiction we have onto distraction, I think that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, well. it is. It's it's it, it's frightening to think. Well, it's actually it's it's experience. My experience has shown me what a lack of awareness, a lack of a relationship with my mind, my thinking, my lack of communication. So when I worked in the corporate world and I, and I experienced that frightening period of my life, you know, uh, you know, the mental health crisis is what it was. It was a frightening place. I mean, like before I got on the podcast with you, I, did a, I just said I had, a, I had a guy on my podcast just before yours. Um, we talked about men's mental health. He runs men's groups in the UK. And we were discussing it, you know, like it's the biggest killer of men under the age of 45. Three quarters of suicides are male. Um, interestingly, though, I did in the preparation for the podcast before, I'd assumed, and this is the internet, but I'd assumed that male suicide was on the rise. You know, when you just, for some reason, you social media, and I checked it out before I did the podcast with Kenny, and it's kind of like young men have been ending their own life since the 60s, yeah. and it's been pretty consistent. Yeah. And we, we were deep diving with Kenny. A lot of it is the is the ability to communicate and just and language and shame and it's complicated but uh, meditate and it's that that's probably that barrier for entry with men and this is why in a way I feel my USP slightly is just because I'm I'm a bloke bloke's bloke I like sport I like a bit of banter you know it's that kind of stuff that I'm able to get in front of people and be vulnerable and give other people permission to be vulnerable yeah I did it with the corporate on Tuesday you know we got a you know these investment bank these people have flown in from all over the world some alpha men there that's what they do they drink coffee they ch they charge around they do their stuff and there's this bloke standing up there talking about his mental health and talking about stress and talking about his experience yeah. but he's also smiling and he's talking to me about football on a coffee break so it's kind of like it's that it's that balance and and um yeah i think i mean i've gone on the mental health one but i do a lot of work here in the uae with with schools so i did I spent eight years in the UK working on a kids' weight management scheme, like the fitness stuff. Yeah. And I noticed then the real mental health challenges that young kids were facing around dysmorphia, body dysmorphia, and belief systems, this kind of stuff. And I've been doing a lot more work recently here in the UAE with sixth formers around stress. And the thing that's blown my mind is that there's there's a huge awareness now with young young people around labels, yeah. which is good. It's pros and cons couple of teachers that I've senior members of teams at schools have gone, you know, their mantra has been that, you know, snowflake, you know, the terms that we hear in them, they're snowflake, they need to develop resilience, this kind of stuff. And I'm like, my reaction is always, well, something's happened yeah. for young men. Something's gone wrong because clearly from the 1960s to now, young men get into their midlife and then a lot of them check out. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, so we need to do something. And then, and then the flip of that, I've gone off on one, is that, second tier of it the flip of that is also being careful that we're not giving kids too many labels so they're self-diagnosing themselves i think that's that's trying to find that balance yeah uh, i've gone completely off meditation here on yeah, mental health. Right. But it's, it's all it's all linked drastically yeah i think what you're really doing wonderfully with your podcast and with the work that you do with the corporates with the schools all of the work that you're doing is you're creating a space where people can model that 
And I think when we have more strong leaders, albeit male or female, I think when we have leaders who are being vulnerable and empathetic, but also resourceful around a solution to a problem, it helps to find that balance between too many labels and no support. <laughs> All right. It, yeah. it, it is the middle ground because we learn way better by example right as human beings and I think if you're showing up and you're talking to these young six formers and you're showing up in men's communities and you're showing up on this podcast talking to a whole array of entrepreneurs and employees that are working in these stressful environments and um, parents who are struggling with kids they're hearing real life stories they're starting to understand and and to follow those breadcrumbs of what they might need and I think that is one of the most powerful things is like we're actually starting to use our voices in such a powerful way and I think that then translates into the results that you've clearly been getting with the people that you work with and what's wonderful is it is good news that male suicide rates aren't increasing it's extremely sad that they've been so consistent for so long but the, yeah. with all of this now public awareness that we're getting with it we have to now move into action we get into the point where it can no longer just be ignored and I think that is a yeah. very exciting place in history and it's a very pivotal moment where we can be part of a, a really positive solution yeah I love that and I think I, I watched this someone sent me a video one of my just a reformer class politely one of the the girl sent me a video and it was someone talking about resilience, just that topic. Are we giving kids too many labels? So they, if they, you know, we tell them about the symptoms and other causes. She said, yeah, you, you, we need to explain to people the causes because stress is a normal part of life. Exactly. She's got a bad you know, and, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. HRV, heart rate recovery, like heart rate variability is a thing, you know, because we're supposed to go up and down. Exactly. We said, by help making people resilient is just giving people the awareness that that they can you, when you are struggling you reach out for help yeah. there are there are options available and we need to teach people that so yeah. we can't do this stuff alone like it's the whole thing of community and yeah. shared experience and just you know these men's groups that this guy Kenny Marmarella de Cruz is running in the UK phenomenal yeah. safe spaces for men who can come and share about Seems like pretty basic stuff, but it's stuff that men shut down over. Yeah. And then it, then this spiral creates, you know, the, the feelings of shame, guilt, manifesting distress, then the coping mechanisms around that, then the mental health, then the prefrontal cortex shuts down, then the only option is to check out <laughs> and then just become another number of many from the 1963 to now, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you're, one of the things you're so passionate about is education. Because I think that plays a big role in what you're describing there. You know, it's one thing talking a lot about symptoms and offering that support, but for a lasting change, and we're always talking about, apologies listeners, always talking about creating lasting change in some capacity, whether it be health, stress awareness, whether that be in um, being able to give back in a way that people want to, is be able to do it in such a way that's sustainable. And I think education is, is a very big piece of the puzzle. And I think if we are starting to be taught from school age is fantastic that stress is normal, mental health is normal, you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs, like, it's okay, you're supposed to feel all of the emotions, we don't get taught that, right, it's school level, 
I certainly didn't. I didn't get taught it in the, no. in the household either. And it's, no. it's one of those things that I had to learn later. And I feel like I feel like one of the reasons I got into all of this is and why we created wellness theory was because we needed to have a platform where people could come and learn the things that we didn't learn. And what's wonderful is we're starting to see schools teaching this kind of stuff. But I guess one of the one reasons we're saying this is because just listening to a podcast episode like this starts to help people realize that, do you know what? It is all part of the human experience and it's all okay. I think us layering everything with so much shame and judgment is a huge part of the problem. All right. It's, yeah. it's that pretense that everything must be positive. You must be an entrepreneur that wakes up at five in the morning and is smashing it until midnight or whatever. You're supposed yeah. to be a parent that doesn't forget anything, but it's like, again, just rocking parenthood and, and men mm-hmm. providing families, women supporting in, in their roles as well, which are extremely demanding as well in so many ways. And there's just this element of grace that I think we could start to bring to the party and just say, do you know what? It's okay. Like you you used the word permission earlier. We all, I think, need permission often to be like, do you know what? Let's just breathe. (laughs) Let's just take a moment and realize that actually we're all doing all right. We just need to lean on each other that little bit more. And I think it ties up nicely what you're saying, which is all about going back to what we were discussing earlier, which is meditation. Just that ability to be in the present moment. And it's a skill. Sounds a bit woo-woo when people first hear it. But what, and, it, and I would say with meditation is meditation is called a meditation practice for a reason. Yeah. You have to give this stuff time to show up in your life. Yeah. You have to have clear evidence that this stuff works. Uh, you don't go to the gym and work out for a week and expect to look see massive changes. It's the exact same with anything. A gratitude practice, exactly. a breathwork practice, walking regularly, committed action, finite amounts of willpower. We've all got a finite amount, so you have to have committed action around this stuff. Yep. Hire a coach, get some accountability, do what you need to do. But once you change one thing, it's a snowball effect. Yeah. Belief systems change. I change that, I can change that, I've changed that, I can change that. Look at me now, my life's different. I want more of it. Yeah. Because I've got clear results that show me the life I can have. Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully, beautifully said there, Matt. Beautifully said. So listen, I wonder if there's one piece of like practical advice that you could give to anyone listening who wants to improve their own meditation practice. What would you say to them? Mm. Why? Okay. So I okay. get basics. So if you are going to meditate, you need to, first thing you've got to do is you've got to pick somewhere in the house you're going to meditate. Where is your seat? So on my groups, I send out texts between, have you hit your seat? Where are you going to sit when you meditate? It's like if I'm going to join the gym. Yeah. I'm going to go to the gym. What gym are you going to use? I don't know. I haven't exactly. decided yet. Well, you're not going to the gym tomorrow. You need to sign up. Pick your seat and try and find a time. Um, that's what I'd say. And if you start with one minute of breath work, you start with one minute yeah. and my last piece of advice is if you're, you're you know you want to commit to it you can miss one day you can't miss two mm. that's it just follow that mantra nice. but find your seat first yeah and if you're in trouble give me a shout i'll help you out yeah definitely definitely so <laughs> on that note where can they come and give you a shout uh, right, where can they find matt marley right it gets a bit confusing so uh instagram i put a lot i've been quite 
good on Instagram recently. I, I like so the humour. The humour you bring to your posts is awesome. Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no niche at the moment. There's no, there's just the habit of posting. So there's the uh, the company. So my company is Wellness Education Dubai. The website wellness education Dubai, all our courses, all our workshops, all our classes. We go into corporates, we do private stuff. Um, find that there. You can contact me through that website for personal stuff. If you want one-to-one coaching, Zoom, face-to-face. Uh, Instagram, wellness underscore education underscore Dubai. And and the podcast, of course. The Matt Marnie Fitness Show is different to the company. The Matt Marnie Fitness Show uh it's me i've got this microphone actually there on there and my big forehead you can't miss it on apple or spotify <laughs> that turns up lots of different topics um yeah and reach out dm me is that what they say charlotte dm me <laughs> Why not? or Why email not? me yeah do whatever you want reach out happy to help that's what i do so so we're gonna put all of these links into the show notes um but basically is everywhere. <laughs> in Reach out, have a cup of coffee. I like coffee anyway. <laughs> Job done. So, Matt, listen, I've got one last question for you before Ooh, we okay. wrap up today, which is if your 85-year-old self came back from the future to talk to you in this present day, what do you think his message would be to you? That's easy. I'm so glad you you were consistently weight trained, Matt, because I still deadlift now and I'm as young as anyone. Longevity, <laughs> sarcop- sarcopenia, loss of muscle mass. Forget the rest of it. Lift weights regularly. Get coaching. Save your life. There you go. And, 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 and meditate. And meditate. <laughs> the meditation's a given. But no, even above that, weight train. The biggest enemy over the age of 70, it's not, yeah. it's not the mind, it's falling over. I worked yeah, on force prevention scheme. He's going to thank me, and he's still deadlifting at 85, twice in my body weight. So he's thanked me for coming. Ain't that the truth? Listen, when you're 85, we're going to sit down and we're going to have another. We're going to have another podcast just on that. Of course, we will. Modern (laughs) medicine. We'll be living to 120, Charlotte. It'll be all over it. Easy. Easy. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure to chat to you today. I'm looking forward to jumping into your work even more deeply, especially now with boots on the ground back in the UAE. Um, really, really want to support what it is you're up to because I think you're doing incredible work and I think you're having a great ripple effect. So thank you so much for being here today and for what you do. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.